Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. All of our men are like watering their mouths right now. They're so excited and they can't be here. So ladies, make sure you eat plenty for all of us and uh, it's going to be a great night. Uh, So make sure you're here for that. And uh, that's a shameless plug. Uh, for the women's ministry, but make sure you're here. You'll be glad you're here. Amen. And I can't wait to find out the good report and and hear the, I hope they record because I'm going to listen in on what Sister Thompson says to make sure that I'm living right too. Amen. It's good to have everybody here today. Thank you for joining us in the house of the Lord. And I'm excited to be able to share God's word with you today. Uh, Most of all, I'm excited to be in an exciting church filled with wonderful people who love God and are striving to be their best for him. Can you say amen? Amen. My daughter's home this weekend, and so I'm excited to see her over there. And she brought a bunch of Liberty's Finest in the row behind her, and so we're thankful they're here as well. And somehow they got their mom and dad to drag them out here from Powhatan, so we're thankful to have all of them with us today. It's good to have you here today, and thank you for worshiping alongside of us here at Life Church. Um, my wife's birthday was this week. And I get to preach, so it's a good day for me to talk about my wife, amen? Uh, So anyway, uh, it's good to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, Philippians, uh, verse 21, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. Also, if you have the Life Church app, you can actually go into the sermon notes section of the Life Church app, and you can follow along and take notes in that. Um, this week we've uh, got some fill-in-the-blanks for you right in there. And uh, if you'd like to follow along using the app, you can do that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, make sure you ask somebody and get yourself a hold to the Life Church app. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 21, it says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, And now here that I still have. Everybody say same struggle. That's what I want to talk to you about today. The same struggle. I think most of you would agree with me that at some point in your life, you have faced some struggles. Some stuff that just seems to beat you up, to hold you down, to keep you from feeling victorious. Anybody with me? And there are some struggles that we face that seem to keep rearing their ugly head from time to time. 
You pray about them. You surrender them to God. You even celebrate the victory. And then time goes by, and all of a sudden you go around a corner, and there it is, that big old ugly issue staring you right in the face. Those ugly feelings come rushing back to the surface, and you're facing the same struggle yet again. And the very thing that you thought you had overcome, you find yourself struggling against one more time, right? Anybody ever been there? For most, the typical life pattern is that old struggles reveal themselves in new ways. Old struggles just reveal themselves in new ways. Our struggles, the things that you have historically uh, got the best of you, seem to show themselves in different levels and at different stages of our life. And the truth is we tend to get discouraged, maybe even a little depressed when we find ourselves struggling with the same struggle yet again. It's a later stage in life, and yet we thought we would have matured past this point by now, but we, we, we're still facing it all over again, and we find ourselves reliving the same feelings and the same frustration and doing the same things and facing the same old mess. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob was going to have a confrontation with his brother. His brother's name is Esau, and he was going to have a, a confrontation really over a struggle that he had been battling his entire existence. You think you've been struggling with that problem for a long time? Jacob literally started fighting his battle the moment he was born. The Bible even says they were at war in their mother's womb. Jacob had a twin named Esau, and the Bible says that the two literally were struggling against each other before they were ever born. Esau was born first, and the Bible seems to indicate that Jacob came out grabbing at his heel, trying to get past him before he got out. You all know the story, Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright, then he tricks his father, Isaac, into giving him Esau's blessing, and Isaac's about to die, and Jacob was smart. He got out of Dodge as quickly as possible because he was afraid he'd have to endure the wrath of Esau. And truthfully, truthfully, these two have been struggling against each other their entire lives, and now in chapter 32 of the book of Genesis, Jacob is 97 years old. He's been battling with his brother for 97 years, and he's going to confront Esau one more time, and he's nearly been struggling against him for a century. And I guess they were determined they're going to have one more showdown. But on the way to face Esau, Jacob has an encounter where instead of struggling against his brother, he instead wrestles with God all night long. And during that encounter, Jacob is transformed. Physically, yes, he was different. Uh, the Bible says that he had to walk different the entire rest of his life. God put him, really gave him a beat down that he would probably never forget and never look at himself the same way again. He would constantly walk with a reminder uh, uh, for literally the rest of his life. But more importantly, the encounter that he had with God forced Jacob to finally face himself to face the man that he was, to consider the reasons that he had been in this struggle all along. See, Jacob was worried about facing Esau, but his real battle was not with his brother. Although he had been battling him 97 years, that was not his real battle. His real struggle was the one that was going on inside of him. How many of you know that the real struggle that we face is rarely with someone else? It's rarely against someone else. Those distracting battles that we fight to keep us from dealing with the real struggles, those are the ones we know about and show ourselves about. But the real struggle that we face is usually with ourselves within ourselves. Our real struggles are usually internal. 
There, that's where the battle really takes place. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in spiritual warfare. I believe we have an enemy who attacks us and comes after us. And I'm confident that, but, that, that we can win the battle. Pastor preached a great message last week about praise being our weapon, and I think it gives us power in the heavenlies to be able to fight the battle. I am not saying any of that is not correct. But let me tell you, I am confident that we give our enemy way more credit than we should because the real struggle that we face is one that occurs inside of us. If we would learn to confront our flesh, to confront our way of thinking, to confront the sinful actions, to confront our rotten attitudes, those things that lurk inside of our hearts that we don't tell nobody about and we don't want nobody to see, if we would learn to address those, we'd be much more prepared for the spiritual battle that comes against us on the outside. Can you say amen? So Jacob, after wrestling with God, has this amazing experience where God changes his name from Jacob, which literally meant deceiver. I, I question any mother that names their child deceiver. Young man, you're going to live a great life, and I'm going to name you deceiver. It kind of sets you up, right? The rest of your life, you're going to go through that. Now, if you named your kid Jacob, I'm sorry. We probably should have given you a Bible study beforehand. But deceiver, my God. Hope there's nobody here named Jacob today. <sighs> Didn't think that one through before I launched into that. <sighs> but he changes his name from Jacob to Israel, which meant a prince with God. I mean, that's a trade-up. Deceiver, prince with God. And with the change and the all-night struggle came an internal strength and a peace that made Jacob a different man. So when he faces Esau, he finds out that his brother isn't even angry anymore. His older brother had completely, wasn't even, he was beyond it. He lived a good life. He didn't have need for all of this fighting and struggling. He'd been blessed, and he willingly forgives, and he moves forward. Just like Jacob, the things, though, that we worry about and things that we are facing are not really what we need to be concerned about, are they? Jacob, worried about a fight with his brother, really should have been facing something a whole lot different the fight within him, and we have the same problem. We deal with a whole lot of stuff outwardly, and what we really need to deal with is on the inside. The greatest struggle you will ever have is within. External situations only serve to amplify the internal struggle. Now, what do I mean by that? We've all had a moment when something small, insignificant, Minor causes us to explode. We react angrily over something that should not even be a blip on our radar. Our wife is three minutes late getting in the car. Or our child left their socks in the living room yet again. Or there's nothing cold to drink in the house. You pick what yours is. You know the moment where you exploded for a seemingly insignificant reason. Your situation outwardly only serve to amplify, make louder the struggle that was going on on the inside. You blew up about the socks, but that's not what you're mad about. At that moment, you think it is, but the turmoil has been boiling internally for weeks, and that's what set you over the edge. That was the cherry on top of the whipped cream, on top of the hot fudge, on top of the six mounds of ice cream, on top of all the other toppings. That's just the peak that puts you over the edge. 
External situations only serve to amplify the internal struggle. The real fight of our lives is actually taking place down beneath the surface. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can move toward overcoming the struggle. Now, don't get me wrong. I recognize that some of us have faced some horrendous stuff, some external circumstances, some stuff that any normal person would be curled up in a fetal position and unwilling to even come outside. But you are here this morning, and I thank God that you are here in spite of the situation, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what seems like you've had a really bad time, you're here, and I'm thankful for that. The grace of God helped you make it this morning, and I'm thankful Some of you face constant struggle. Some of you came to know Jesus and your family turned against you. Some of you have taken criticism for every direction because of the first choice you made and you're trying to make right choices and you've been taking criticism ever since from your family because you're trying to live for Jesus. I try not to listen to the critics, but the truth is we all hear the negativity at times. Can you say amen? And I don't care who you are, it hurts when people talk bad about you, doesn't it? But hear me today, any external criticism that I have received has only ever damaged me to the level that my internal securities enabled it to do so. You see, a couple weeks ago, and this will be funny, but it's still truth, I was in the kitchen. One of the little girls in the church came up, started patting me right here. And she said, you're fat. Now, was she lying? No. She was telling the truth. And I laughed with her. But when I went back to my office, it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. Because she don't know how hard I've been trying to lose weight, right? She don't know that I've been really doing my best to try to eat better and do the right things. And it doesn't seem to work like it's supposed to. Like everybody else, man, they just weight drops off of them. Me, I sniff ice cream and weight pours on. Right? Somebody with me? All right, good. So she didn't know that that would hurt my feelings. She wasn't trying to hurt my feelings. Matter of fact, she just probably thought, oh, he's like Santa, you know, bowl full of jelly. (laughs) But any external criticism can only damage me to the level that my internal insecurities enable it to do so. If I'm perfectly secure in who I am, that doesn't bother me the least, does it? I'm like, you doggone right, I'm fat. Like it, love it, want some more of it, you know? But that's not how I responded. Instead, I kind of went and sulked a little bit because she's right, and I don't like it, and I got to do more about it. And I know that's just a funny thing, but think about how many times you have received an external criticism and it ate you alive, not because the person wasn't right, not because what they said was so bad, but it just revealed an internal insecurity that you were eat up with, that you don't know how to overcome, that you've been struggling with for a long time, that you have let beat you up and dog you down and just rip you apart. It just reveals, right, what's really going on on the inside. Okay, so from our text this morning, from the book of Philippians, which I'll just tell you now, if you've been around here for long, you know the book of Philippians is probably one of my favorite books. I preach more from the book of Philippians in the last 10 years than probably any other book. Paul is writing to the Philippian church. He's writing this amazing letter about joy. And it really is an awesome letter that challenges us to find joy in any situation, to live from a position of joy. Yet Paul is writing this joy-filled letter 
from prison. If anybody's external circumstances dictated that he should not feel joyful, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet here he is from prison writing this letter exclaiming joy to the people that he was writing to. And he's kind of like on death row. And the passage that he begins with, Paul is unsure as to whether he's going to be executed or not and as to which he would prefer. He didn't know if he would prefer to be alive or dead. And he's having an internal struggle because he says, you know, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In other words, if I live, I experience Jesus more now. But if I die, I get to be with Jesus. I'm a winner either way. And so he's struggling with this to live or die. And the struggle of being in prison faces an uncertain future, giving Paul this amazing insight into the nature of abiding joy that can continue in spite of the circumstances that he found himself in. And I've said this before, uh, many of our world is always coming to Jesus or coming into life, and they spend their existence trying to find happiness, right? That idea of what makes me happy. Happiness is great, but by its very nature, happiness is tied to happenings. So I am happy because things happen in my life that dictate me to be happy. But in Christ, we're not promised happiness. I hope that doesn't bust anybody's bubble today. In Christ, we were never promised happiness. But we are granted this amazing fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our life called joy. And joy is not happiness because joy is not tied to external circumstances or happenings. Joy is tied to my relationship with Christ because in his presence is fullness of joy. Paul writes Philippians to remind that despite our happenings, despite the circumstances, despite the struggle, we can have joy that comes from Christ. Ultimately, without the struggle of prison from the Apostle Paul, we don't know the beautiful book of Philippians. I heard somebody say recently, if Paul doesn't spend the majority of the latter half of his life in prison, we don't get 23 books of the New Testament because he would have been out sharing the gospel with his mouth instead of spending some time writing the gospel in paper form. And so we're thankful today that Paul had to spend some time in prison because without it, we don't have the, book of the, New, the books of the New Testament that he wrote. In Philippians 1, Paul's really being transparent about some internal struggles he's facing. He wants to be free. He has a calling to start churches, and yet his circumstances have him chained, and he's struggling with that situation. He should be advancing the cause of Christ, the kingdom of God, and yet he's stuck in prison. So he's sharing this message to the palace guard, and he's converting his captors at a very rapid rate. He acknowledges that there are those who have told him about people who are out preaching the gospel, and sometimes they're doing it with improper motives. And Paul says that he gets joy, however, even though they may be preaching for the wrong reasons, he gets joy out of knowing that the gospel is going forth, and for that he gets joy. And then he acknowledges this internal struggle between living and dying. If I die, I'm with Christ. That's a gain. But if I live, it's a plus because I continue to gain spiritual fruit from my labor. I don't know which one to choose. If I die, I'm with Christ. Far better for me. I live, it's far better for you because I get to share the gospel with you. And then it's as if he settles it because Paul is probably not very selfish of a person. So he settles that in his mind and he, what, what he wants to do, he releases it in verse 25. He says, I think I'll stick around because when I get out of prison, we're going to have a joyful celebration when I come to you. And then he says, and I'm reading this from the message, uh, 
I don't know if the Liberty folks think that's heresy or not, but I'm going to read it anyway. Um, It says, meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear of it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news. Not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him, and the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. So Paul tells them to stand together, stand united, because they have the same struggle. What was Paul's struggle? We don't know. Some of it say it was the Judaizers who were a legalistic group of believers who were insistent that every believer live based on the Mosaic law. Some say it was false religion. Some say it was persecution from Rome. The point is we don't know what his opposition was, and it really doesn't matter. Whatever they were facing, Paul says, hey, you need to stand together because the same struggle that you're facing is the same struggle I faced. The same struggle that your brother faced is the same struggle you're facing. The struggle that seems to be beating you up right now is the same struggle that I faced yesterday. It's the same struggle. Look across the room and look at your neighbor and tell them, it's the same struggle. Why was it so important for Paul to let them know, hey, you need to stand fast in one spirit, be united, stand together? Why? Because division and separation will always come. It is the trick of the enemy. He wants to struggle with us, and he wants to keep us in isolation. But God put us in a church family so we can struggle together. God doesn't remove the struggle, but he put you in a church family so you could struggle together. Think about how many times the Apostle Paul in his writings uses the terminology of unity. The word together fills his writings. He says, when you come together, when you come together to eat, when you come together to pray, when you gather together, made, God has made us alive together. He has raised us up together. He sit, we will sit together in heavenly places. We are joined together, built together, knit together, striving together, be followers together, quicken together, live together, comforted together, assemble together. And if we stay together, one day we're going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be together with the Lord. But there's one operative phrase there. We've got to do it together. The truth is we need each other and we are bound together. The Bible describes this bond of love that comes together with Christians, cords that can be broken. And actually that's not really true. Those cords can be broken, but they cannot be broken from without. They can only be broken from within. If we allow things to divide us, if we allow things to separate us, those cords come apart real fast. Nothing can separate us from without, but a lot of things can tear us apart from within if we let it. That's why we got to fight for unity. we got to fight for togetherness. We have to fight for one another. We have to love one another, care for one another, reach for one another, share with one another, support one another. Say amen or oh me, it's still the truth. We are doing this life together. I love that we used to have a banner right there, Pastor, that said life together. The situations that we face may be different, but the struggle is at what unites us, and it is the same struggle. We are all in this together. That's why the message of Christ is universal. 
Our situations may be different, but his message appeals to the homeless as well as the mansion dweller. His message does not speak to your situation. His message always speaks to everyone's situation. His message is not lonely. It is together. It pushes you closer together. It is not meant for you to be isolated or lived alone. It is meant for you to do it together. We are all struggling with the same stuff. We're facing the same struggle. And sometimes it's difficult to struggle together, but I believe with all of my heart, if you do it, you're better together. We've been doing a freedom group on Monday nights, and I love gathering together with men and and beginning to discuss things. And as we talk about some things, what I've discovered is the guy sitting across from me, he's struggling with the same stuff I'm struggling with, Pastor. Stuff that I thought, oh, I'm by myself in this area. Uh Uh-uh. This one over here, he got the same stuff. We're struggling with the same things. We're all facing the same struggles. Again, the situations may be different, but our internal struggle is the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. I know some of us, we think nobody's ever had it as bad as me, but Paul just nips that in the bud because he says there is no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You are not alone in this. Not only are you not alone in this and the rest of us are going through the same stuff, but then he says, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. A lot of people read that scripture and think, well, God will never put on me more than I can bear. That's not what that scripture says. There will be times you will not be able to bear it, but when you are tempted that way, he will come alongside of you and provide you a way of escape. You haven't faced a temptation that's uncommon. We're in all this together. You know, it's easy sometimes to find ourselves intimidated by those that we think have it all together. Oh, pastor, they don't understand me. I don't want to go to a group talk about stuff because people there don't understand me. They don't know what it's like to, to be me. They don't, wanna, they don't know what it's like to face my struggle. Really? Why? Because you think they drive a nice car now? Because they live in a nicer neighborhood than you do now? You weren't here when they were driving the beater that they had to push out of the parking lot just to get it home. You get intimidated because you think they have it all together. Our biggest problems come when we think too much. You weren't here when they were living in a bad neighborhood and struggling to keep the lights on. You perceive they got it all together right now, but inside they're facing the same struggles that you face. Their situation may be different right now, but it doesn't mean it was always that way. They face the same struggle. I think one of the biggest tricks of our enemy is to magnify our differences. Are there differences between us? Yes. To deny that there are differences to be, is to be blind and naive and kind of insulting. There are socioeconomic differences. There are racial differences. There are generational differences. There are gender differences, geographical differences, political differences. There's lots of differences. And our world is constantly focusing on our differences to the point that we see all the isms, right? Racism, sexism, ageism, conservatism, liberalism, socialism, nationalism, Fox Newsism, CNNism, MSNBCism, Trumpism, Bernieism, Mini Mikeism, on and on the isms go. And if we aren't careful, we will use them to keep us isolated and alone. 
And I'm just going to be real for a moment. All the isms give birth to people finding offense. And every word that comes out of someone else's mouth who doesn't fit their particular group. And now if the offense isn't blatant enough, we've got an entire new category of offense. Yeah, if you weren't overt enough in your desire to offend me, now we analyze your offensiveness on the micro level and we call them microaggressions to further distance us and assume that we are striving to hurt one another. I was reading about this over the last week and I don't mean to be insensitive, but there are some things that I have said that after studying for this, I thought, you know, I can see how in my ignorance or in my lack of understanding, I may have said that. And while not meaning to be offensive or hurtful, I may have further advanced a stereotypical behavior that while not intended, may have advanced a higher level of offense. I can see it. But let's be realistic for a moment. We could take our differences and magnify them to the place that we each become an island unto ourselves. Because inside of each microcosm of society, there are thousands of different intersecting groups that statistically we could find literally our own island to be alone on if we wanted to. For instance, I could be the white, 48-year-old, adopted male, unaware of his nationalistic heritage, who's short and overweight, has two master's degrees and all the student loan debt to prove it, enjoys comic books but loves to read other books, who's introverted, was raised in the country, but gets made fun of by country folks who doesn't think he's country enough. Is there anybody else who's on my island today? Adam Dunford, you're not on my island. Don't even try to act like you are. Because you are country boy. Your email even says NC country boy. Right? I can literally be all by myself if I propagate all of my isms, all of the things that are me. And yet as isolated as I can make myself, apparently I could be offensive to someone who has a peanut allergy by suggesting that Reese's peanut butter cups are the best candy. Now, I know I'm getting kind of silly, but I want you to see my point. We could literally, as a church of this size, spend all of our time trying to magnify our differences. Or we could recognize that we're really not that different after all. We were, everyone in this room, separated from a relationship with God because of sin. And we are all sinners who are in need of a Savior. And I don't care how holy you think you are, you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And all of us, every single solitary one of us was so loved by God that he sent his only begotten son into the world, not to condemn us, but to provide a way of escape from the sin lifestyle that we were born into. And through his death at Calvary, we were provided with the opportunity through faith in his sacrifice and the power of his redemptive act to have one moment, over, a moment with him that our past becomes redeemed, our present is forever changed, and our future is forever secured. Every one of us has the same problem, and every one of us is presented with the same solution. The gospel is the great equalizer. We are all on equal footing at the cross. And today, whether you, have fa- whether you are facing what I am facing or not, whether you see the same circumstances or not, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, it's all level ground, baby. We are all in this together. 
Whatever you face to get here, we serve a God who loves you for who you are, no matter your differences, and he doesn't ask us to relinquish our differences, but rather he asks us to embark on what we have in common. We are all his children, red and yellow, black and white. We are all precious in his sight. I'm so thankful to know that my differences don't alienate me or isolate me. They just make me one of his amazing, unique creations of grace. Paul described us as one body with many members. And the reality is if one member isolated cuts itself off from the body, that part of the body begins to die. We need each other. And my struggle is your struggle. My hurt is your hurt. Your dilemma is my dilemma. We are all in this together. Our struggles are the same. Back to our text for a moment. Paul says, you're facing the same struggle that I faced. Paul is empathizing with the church at Philippi. He's sharing his struggle in an effort to let them know that they're not alone. See, when faced with someone's struggle, we have the choice. We can provide them with sympathy or empathy. Sympathy says, I hear you. Empathy says, I feel you. See, a lot of people know what it means to sympathize. I hear you. I'm sorry for what you're going through. Hope you feel better. I did that this morning. Debbie Fuller sent me a text message saying she wasn't feeling well. She wouldn't be here. And I said, hope you feel better. Probably should have empathized instead of sympathized. But that's what I did. A lot of people know what that means. But again, Paul described the church as one body with many members. And if we are one body, when you hurt, I should hurt too. When I struggle, you should struggle too. So when faced with someone's struggle... I know it means you have to get vulnerable. I know it means you have to humble yourself and share a little of your own struggle. But we need to learn to empathize with one brother or sister. We should learn to share their hurt by letting them know we feel their pain. Not that we're aware of their pain, but we feel it. We understand it. It hurts us too because you're not alone in this struggle. Your struggle is my struggle. Our struggles are the same. You're facing a tough time. Guess what? I'm facing a tough time too. Our struggles are the same. I've said this before, but we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people over our weaknesses. So you can look look tough and strong, and I'm impressed. When you get vulnerable and you're honest about your struggle, I'm connected. See, because I understand struggle. I know what it means to feel weak. I know what it means to fail. I know what it means to fall. I know what it means to question my faith. I know what it means to face cancer beside a loved one. I know what it means to be unemployed. I know what it means to be broke. I know what it means to be in debt. I know what it means to drive junky cars. I know what it means to lose a business. But I also know what it means to rejoice in God's ability to restore. I know what it means to have hope. I know what it means when God puts the pieces back together again. Paul said, I've been in abundance and I've been, I've been broke, but I've learned in the midst of it to have joy and to be content and to know that God and his family have my back. You know, a lot of times Christianity gets a bad rap. And it's deserved at times because a lot of Christians run around with a thou shalt or a you should mentality. Always informing people what they need to be doing. Oh, you're struggling? You should do this. You're having a tough time? You should stop sinning. You should live more holy. You should straighten up and fly right. You should get your act together. It might be a bad rap, but it's justified because we can be that way at times. But I heard Stephen Furtick say one time that instead of being a you should group of people as a church, we need to become a me too group of people. And I think it's true. 
Instead of running around telling everybody how to fix their problems and what they should do, why don't you take a moment, come down off your spiritual high horse and act like, stop acting like you've been translated on Elijah's chariot onto an elevated plane of existence and just admit you got struggles too. Let your brother or sister realize that they are not alone, that they are not isolated, that, they can't, that you can't identify with their pain. Your car left you stranded on the side of the road? Me too. You get discouraged and you eat a whole bag of Lay's potato chips at 10 o'clock at night? Me too. Got on the scale, went the wrong direction, figured I'd go ahead and top it off. You yelled at your kids? Me too. You had an argument with your wife? Me too. You got angry in traffic and almost cussed that guy out, but remembered you had a Life Church bumper sticker on and shut your mouth. Me too. You sometimes question your faith. Me too. Sometimes you make dumb decisions that seem to haunt you the rest of your life. Me too. Brother Vinny, sometimes you have road rage and go crazy when people cut you off. Me too. You sometimes go through a drive-thru and order food that you shouldn't eat and really don't need to just because you heard a jingle of French fries and you couldn't help yourself. Me too. Jesus knew what it meant to say me too. He could have stayed in the perfection of heaven. He could have. But instead, he came to earth, took on our weaknesses, shared in our struggles. Hebrews 4.25, he says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He came, he went through the same struggle that we go through. Why? So he could empathize with our weakness. So he could say, me too. I've been through that stuff too. And it doesn't have to derail you. It doesn't have to destroy you. It doesn't have to leave you in the clutches of sin. Because he made it through, you can too. Your struggle is his struggle. He knows what it means to face temptation. You can draw strength from him because he faced the struggle too. Paul at another time admitting his own struggle says in 2 Corinthians, and I'm, again, I'm reading it from the message because it just says it so plainly. He says, because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. When he, in fact, did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. You see, when we acknowledge our struggle, that's when the strength can come in. When I admit I'm weak, then I've got a Savior who comes along and says, I'm strong. Strength is always birthed through struggle. The problem is we think it's our strength that's being birthed, but it's not. It's the strength of our Savior that's being birthed in our weakness because in our weakness, he is made strong. He prayed in the garden, God, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
You know the hardest prayer to pray in the midst of your struggle is God, let your will be done. Whatever it is, let it be done. Our musicians are coming at this time. There's one thing I believe more than I've ever believed anything in my life, short of the fact that God loves me, is that God uses every hurt, every struggle, every pain. It has a purpose. It may not even be a purpose in your life that you understand. It may be only so that down the road somewhere you can look your brother or sister in the eye and say, me too. Me too. I feel your pain. I know what you're facing. Me too. It's scriptural. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Again, I'm going back to the message because I want you to get this. This is what Paul says. All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. You going through a struggle today? Me too. You going through a tough one? I got struggles too. We're not alone. We're in this together. And if he made a way for me, he can make a way for you. If he's your way maker today, he can be my way maker today. If he got you through it, he can get me through it too. See, a lot of times what we do is we come up here, we give our thing to God, we walk away. And that's not bad. Because the Bible says that when we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess to God for forgiveness, and that's a good thing. But the Bible also in James gives us this caveat Because a lot of times we confess to God and we walk out and we still feel beat up. We still feel like we're just down in the dumps. We feel terrible about ourselves. We feel like, man, I'm the worst. Look what I did. And we're reminded constantly by the devil because that's his job. And see, But in James it says, if I will confess my faults to my brother. He says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Then... We go to the next part real fast. We skip that part because that's a little more hard. We go right to the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Right? We jump on that because, man, we want to believe that our prayer makes a difference. But it's predicated upon me being healed so that I can effectively pray. And so when I confess my faults to my brother, God begins a working in me of healing that allows me to be effective when I pray. If we would learn the value of confessing to God for forgiveness, but confessing to one another for healing, we would be able to walk in a level of prayer expectancy that we'd never been in before because our prayers would no longer be hindered by our unwillingness to be forgiven and healed. Brother Randall, you going through something? Me too, buddy. You going through something? Me too, buddy. We're going to get it together. And if God made a way for you, he can do it for me too. I don't know any better thing to 
get me through those moments when I feel weak than to know that I got my brother who comes alongside of me, puts his arm around me and says, I can make it, you can make it, together we can make it. Pastor, there's this great passage. I think it's in Proverbs, maybe in Psalms, where the writer is describing people that are on a journey walking. And he says, if two are walking together, that's a good thing. Because if one is walking alone and he falls, he don't have nobody to help him up. One of Abby's friends over here, maybe two, actually two of Abby's friends over here, I think, maybe more than that, but I think I know two, Will and Caleb, that's right. They just ran a super marathon, a 50K, right? And if I understand the story correctly, Will was a runner, Caleb wasn't. And then Caleb started running with Will. Is that right? Is that sort of right? All right. Caleb started running with Will. And all of a sudden, Caleb became capable of running a super marathon because of the person that was pushing him alongside of him that he was running with, right? See, some of us are living our life isolated and we're running the race all by ourselves. And we're wondering why we're falling down and we're wondering why we're on our face and we're wondering why we can't make it very far. But if we would just allow through the confession process to one another that we become accountable to one another and we start, you know what? I'm going running at four in the morning. You going to join me? Yes, I'm going to be there. We start having confession and, and start having this relationship with one another that binds us together. We can accomplish more together than we could have ever done by ourselves. So I'm going to do something different. You know that's me. I am different after all. My isolated island says I'm very different. I'm going to do something different. Today we're going to allow you to come as we always do. We're going to gather together in this front. But I want, if you really identify with anything I've talked about today, I want you to look across the aisle, look down your row, look, see somebody. Say, hey, let's go together. And I want you to fill this altar area. They're getting ready to sing Waymaker. And I believe with all of my heart that there's somebody here today. They need to know that God can make a way for them today. And I believe there's somebody sitting near that person who God has made a way for already and they can instill faith in them by leading them down to this altar, and together we declare the goodness of God together. Can you say amen? All right, let's go. One, I want you to come. Let's all stand. Two, it's not hard. It's real easy. You should know everybody by now that's sitting around you. You've been here for almost forty-five, uh, almost 75 minutes. You should know them. One, two, three. Let's gather down to this altar real quick. I don't want to take all your time, but I just think it'd be good if we gather together. There's something powerful about togetherness. You got struggles? I got them too. You got problems? Me too. We're in this thing together. Let's gather around here. And before they start to sing, I want to pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the demonstration of your spirit. I thank you that we are in your presence on this great day. I ask you right now that you would begin to do a work in our hearts. Help us to realize we're not alone. 
We are in this thing together. We have people that love us and care about us and want to help us through. God, I pray today that we would find a place of accountability with one another, a place of confession to one another, that we can experience the healing of your word. We thank you today, God. Do your perfect will. Make a way for someone today in the name of Jesus. Pastor, I just want us to pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. I want you to repeat after me as we pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence. God, today I know that I'm not alone. You are with me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. You chose to leave heaven to come and die for me and restore me into relationship with you. And today, God, I can identify with you and my life will be forever changed. But today I'm challenged not to live my life in isolation, but to live my life connected with someone else, to journey together to walk through tough times, to share my faith, to share my experiences, to allow others to increase their faith because of what you brought me through. Today, I thank you for making a way in my life and I will celebrate you and I will honor you by sharing what you've done in me with others that I come across in my day. And I'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Let's celebrate him and give him praise right now all over this house. Father, we bless you. We glorify you. There's none like you. We honor you and we thank you, Jesus. We bless you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
Amen, amen. I'm so thankful you were here today. I'm so thankful you chose to be a part of this church service. And I'm going to say you're dismissed, but what I would encourage you to do in this time as we're leaving today is grab about five or six people and let them know they're not alone. You are in this with them. Say, me too. Whatever they're struggling with, you got struggles too. Let's love one another today in closing. Can we do that? God bless you. We'll see you all this week in life.